So let your values guide you, guide you in your action and how you show up and in how you relate and respond to the curveballs of life. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am delighted to be jumping into your earbuds today and particularly excited about this episode. This is a unique episode. So if you've been listening to Wisdom for Wellbeing for a while, you would know I have two very clear areas of interest, yoga and psychology, and ultimately my passion is the blending, the integration of these two areas because I feel, and you know, lots of research evidence supports their integration as a tool for emotional well-being and ultimately for creating a thriving state, a vital state in your life. So this episode today is actually the audio from a training that I've been offering where I go myth busting, you know, deconstructing some of the myths that get in the way of individuals starting and maintaining a yoga practice. So whether you are new to yoga, whether you've been practicing for a while and you just want to learn a little bit about more how you can optimize it, this episode, this training is really for you. If you want to see it in video, format amazing come join if you head to www.drcaitlin.com backslash yoga myths you can sign up for the trainings i'm doing them live and there's a few more dates left however if you've missed it or if you're really happy to podcast while you're doing other activities come along for the journey now at the end i'll be sharing about my yoga brain 101 training which is my most empowering eight week or eight module if you do it in that format online course you can learn more about that at drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain but i will be sharing about that at the end of the training you'll be listening to here today so without further ado let's dive in it's a bit of a unique experience i know come with me for the ride and i hope that by the end of this episode you are feeling ready to step onto your mat start practicing and start to find those little ways into creating the life that is your life that is in alignment with your heart and that allows you to shine. All right, here we go. Well, hello there. My name is Dr. Caitlin Harkis. I am a clinical psychologist and senior yoga instructor. And in this training today, I am taking you through three strategies for your most stress-relieving yoga practice. Essentially, what we're talking through today is how you can use yoga as a mindfulness and acceptance-based psychological practice to transform your anxious overwhelm into peace and purpose. There are myths that commonly get in the way of this and things that really derail you when you're looking to start a yoga or a meditation practice and things that can make it really difficult to keep going. 
If you already have an established practice, brilliant. Perhaps today is a chance for you to nerd out, to learn a little bit more, and to learn some psychological skills that can be bolstered through your time on the mat. Essentially, your yoga practice can become an experiential playground, a place where you can practice psychological skills that you take off the mat and into your life. Now, before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to truly acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet today. In my case, I'm standing on Garna land, and I wish to pay my respects to their past, present, and future elders. And I would love for you to hold in your heart an acknowledgement of the same, extending our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are joining us here today. With this in mind, with this in heart, I would like to introduce you to my intention. Ultimately, what I want for you is the ability to live a flexible life. There's a beautiful quote, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. And I'm in no way referring to your capacity to touch your toes here. I am talking about psychological flexibility, a trait that actually allows you to cope with the challenges, the changes that are inevitable in your life. You know, your capacity to be flexible allows you to consider problems and solutions in novel and creative ways that will allow you to both persist and or change your behavior according to the things that are actually closest to your heart. You know, so this really requires of you the ability to be present, to be here in this moment, to be aware of your emotions and to be very clear on your values, on your desires and your needs. I truly believe that yoga can be a tool to support you in this, you know, cultivating your present moment awareness, your mindfulness, your skills of acceptance and the ability to take perspective. You know, it is so much more than about touching your toes. So with this in mind, with this in heart, I would like to balance the intrinsic motivation that has got you here today, whether it's to start a yoga practice, to learn psychological skills, or to enhance your understanding of this area further with a bit of an external motivator. If you stay present here until the end, I will be emailing you a little gifty, you know, something to support you on this journey to flexibility. If you are tuning in at a later date or in a different way, still applies. Just email me hello at drcaitlin.com and I'll send this little surprise out to you. And to support your mind even further, I'm going to suggest that you turn off distractions. Turn off your phone, close down the tabs on your computer. The fact is your mind's going to be wandering off at some point. Each day you have between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts and our minds try and multitask. However, we are not multitasking. Our minds then essentially have to switch their focus between tasks back and back and back and back. It takes a lot of cognitive energy. And we know that multitasking actually makes people less effective and less happy. There has been some amazing research demonstrating that people spending, you know, their days 
you and I, that most of us spend at least half of our waking time focused on things other than what we're doing. Yet, the highest amount of joy is when we are doing something that we are present to. So what I mean by this is that you would likely rate your happiness higher, taking out the trash if you were truly there in that moment, taking out the trash, listening to the birds, lifting up the lid, than if you were in a bubble bath, thinking about that interaction you had with your boss or that meeting that you're going to have tomorrow. Present moment awareness, being able to be present is key in terms of cultivating well-being. Hence, I suggest turning off the distractions now and coming into this moment. Consider what is your intention? You know, why are you here today? If you have the workbook that goes along with this workshop, you might jump in and write your intention down now. If not, again, and you'd like it, just email me and I can flick it through to you. So is your intention to cultivate a sense of self-care. You know, maybe things in your life are not too bad, but aren't too great either. What is it that's really pulled you to learn more, potentially make a shift in your life? You know, some common intentions that I hear in this area is the cultivation of me time. You know, actually deliberately creating some time for yourself. For some, it's about cultivating the skill to show up with calm and compassion, to more effectively manage the stress of life, to improve focus, to learn mindfulness. Maybe it's to start a yoga practice. Whatever it is, holding that intention in your heart and then softening your gaze, or if it feels safe to do so, perhaps even closing your eyes. And I'd like you to imagine you are at your 80th birthday party. There are three people who are making speeches here today. So as you look around the room, see friends, family members, colleagues, people of the community, and consider which three people will be making a speech. Seeing the first person clinking their glass, calling attention, and starting their speech, what do they say about you? What do they talk about in regards to your character? You know, who you are, who you show up as, what special memories do they have of you? What impact have you made on their life? Were they talking about you when you're at your best? As a present friend, striving creative and attuned parent, a social changer, an environmental advocate? What are they talking about? And now as the next speech starts, similarly noting, what 
what they think about you, your memories, your impact. What you mean to them. And the third person takes their turn, glasses clinking once more. What's the theme of this speech? Are they talking about you when you're at the best? Is anyone talking about what kind of car you drive or how much money you have in the bank? Notice the themes. Notice what it is about you and your life that's made impact here. And perhaps noting this down in your workbook, coming back into real time now, or holding this in your heart wherever you feel clear. Because ultimately, what this exercise shares is your values. You know, when you think of who you want to be showing up as in this world, the legacy you want to leave, it really clearly tells who you are and what you care about. So your values essentially act like a compass, guiding you to a life that is meaningful to the person you choose to be. And just like with a compass, it can point north, but you never get to a point where you say, I've reached north. The compass can point you in this direction and you can have goals, landmarks along the way. But they are just that. They're just landmarks. Landmarks to tell you that you're going in the right direction. So for instance, if we extend this metaphor, let's say in your journey north there is a mountain. You might have the goal to summit the peak to get on top of and over the mountain so that you can go north but it's about not losing sight that that mountain is simply a marker of north. So if for whatever reason the weather is poor or you don't have the right gear and it's not safe to summit the peak and you choose to go around the mountain, if you were just climbing the mountain and there wasn't an understanding of northness, it might feel like a failure that you're having to go east or west around the mountain. Yet if you know your intention is to always be going north, there's flexibility and understanding that that east-westness encircling the mountain is actually to then bring you back on track to north. And there's an acceptance in that. There's a sense of alignment in that. So let your values guide you. Guide you in your action, in how you show up, and in how you relate and respond to the curveballs of life. You know, some examples of value are cultivating compassion, acting with kindness towards yourself and others who are suffering. There are values of cultivating adventurousness, exploring new places and activities cultivating fitness, caring for your mental and physical well-being, cultivating self-awareness, developing an understanding of your thoughts, feelings, and actions. 
So why yoga then? How can yoga support you in your intentions in living a valued life? Well, yoga integrates a number of evidence-based practices. So mindfulness, breathing, physical activity. We know that these practices release stress, improve mood, are anxiolytic in nature. And I'm curious as to how yoga might then support you to show up as your best self, perhaps less reactive, more present, more vitality and energy. What is it that yoga might offer you? And with this, could we create an intention for your mindful movement practice? You know, how could this deliberate me time, this experiential playground of flexibility support you in showing up as the person you choose to be? A bit later on today, I'll be sharing the most bang for buck ratio, so to speak, the optimal duration in terms of getting maximal benefit for limited time, also going to be a topic of conversation, but just holding in mind the intention of practice in this moment, regardless of what it looks like. Now, I just want to make sure that you are in the right place before you invest more time in this tutorial, in this workshop. There are a couple of reasons that you might have shown up here today. Reason number one is that you might be snapping at loved ones. Maybe you're feeling tense, you're not sleeping well, or you're dropping the ball at work, and you would like to live more in alignment with the person you want to be. Reason number two is that you're curious about developing a yoga and mindfulness practice to support you better managing the stress, frustration, and overwhelm that comes with a full life. And reason number three is that you love self-development and you just want to learn strategies that you can really flourish in your relationships, vocation, sporting, and creative pursuits. So which one are you? You know, here to live more in alignment, number one, are you number two, yoga curious, and number three, flourishing focus. I have been each, each of these at different points in times and very frequently all of them. Yoga is very much one of the most grounding places and practices in my life. And whatever your intention is, I wanted to let you know that I do support you. I get it. So who am I then? Well, I'm a human being. You know, I, I found that yoga supported my mental health so much that I wanted to become a teacher. And in becoming a teacher, I was really privileged to have students then sharing with me their journeys, their transformations. And I realized, wow, this is actually incredibly common. So I started researching more about yoga and mental health. And that drove me to completing my master's and PhD in clinical psychology, where I actually conducted research exploring the benefits of a therapeutic yoga practice for people suffering from chronic stress and symptoms of anxiety and depression. So I was looking at psychological impact 
as well as the psychoneuroimmunological impact and epigenetic impact. So what that basically means is looking at mind-body changes, looking at the levels of inflammation in the blood and the epigenetic changes that relate to because we know our minds and bodies are connected. You know it, right? When you feel tense, you feel it physically as well as the mind feeling overwhelmed, it becomes difficult to focus. We are creatures of mind, of body. We are connected. And this is something that has become more and more apparent to me as my life has gone on. And to share a little bit about my journey, you know, I mentioned I was a human being, which, you know, aren't, aren't we all? I found yoga at a really impactful time in my life. So I was really struggling when I found a yoga practice. And I was really lucky because I had actually sought psychological support. I don't actually know with hindsight whether the person I saw was a psychologist or um, yeah, what sort of a therapist this person was, but it, it, it didn't work. It was a really unfortunate pairing. I can honestly say I've had many therapists since who've been fantastic, but this particular experience was pretty degrading and it left me feeling more alone. And I decided I would try and figure out what was going on for me myself and started renting a bunch of books from the library on mental health well-being and I would cover them in newspapers to read on the bus. So this is like many years ago. Clearly I'm dating myself back when, um, there wasn't, you know, Amazon options to order books to your doorstep and whatnot. So I'd rent these books and I would read them on the bus. And what happened is I had an overdue fine for one of the books. I can't recall whether I lost it or it was just really late in returning. But I did not go into the library to pay my overdue fine because I felt so shameful about the struggles I was having. I didn't want to go up to the front counter of the library and have someone pull up my files to see what sort of books I was renting and reading. I felt like that was humiliating. I couldn't get myself to do it or refuse to. And I consequently was no longer able to rent books from the library, which to some might not seem like a big deal, that was huge for me. I am a librarian's daughter. I love books. I love being able to rent books. And the fact that I was willing to sacrifice my privilege of renting and accessing books to avoid the stigma I felt, the shame, is pretty speaking. Fortunately, I am much more able to hold this humanness experience now. And I really want you to have access to the same resources, experiences. We are all, of course, climbing our own mountains, so to speak. You know, it's not that we get to a point where we no longer experience pain and suffering. It's just about building our toolkit in this being human so that we can more effectively respond to the pains as they come up in our lives, you know, so that we can love our lives. And I want to know whether you can imagine what it would be like to wake up each morning feeling clear that you are reaching your potential and living your purpose. And this is why, you know, I want to explore the myths getting in the way of you cultivating a healthy brain, a flexible brain, a yoga brain, and an intentional life, a life your 80 year old self will be proud of. 
Now, I always like to know where we're going to have a little nap along the way. So let me talk you through the time we'll have together today. We're going to start out with the bowl S-H-I-T that Disney has sold you. Then we're going to talk about the experience of feeling the feels, all the emotions. We're going to talk about how we can understand time, your energy investment, and about then who can actually do yoga. From there, if it's okay with you, I'll share about some of my other yoga brain offerings, and there'll be time for a Q&A. So I want to talk through this concept of good vibes only. This is myth number one. Oh, you see this hashtag around, right? And often at yoga studios, I see a good vibes only sign. This is really concerning because essentially this concept of good vibes only emotionally bypasses the experience of being human. Your uncomfortable emotions tell you a lot about what you care about, just as much as the more comfortable emotions you experience. Very often your pain is your purpose, you hurt where you care, and there is absolutely nothing wrong or inherently dangerous in any of your emotional experiences. We've been fed this myth this idea that we need to get to a point where we live happily ever after, and that this is the goal, is to live a happy life. For sure, when we find our sense of purpose, happiness may come, but it's not the case that you are going to feel happy all of the time, nor should that be your aspiration, because what happens when you chase feeling good all the time? right? Some of the hard things in life can be really purposeful, really meaningful. If someone comes in and they tell me that they feel, well, they won't come in for therapy, let's face it. But if I do see someone who says I'm feeling good 100% of the time, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Life is perfect. I would be concerned because that is not the normal human experience. That is not a flexible, responsive experience. You are ultimately descendant from the most anxious of our ancestors. So why would you feel good all the time, right? You know, I'm not talking here about clinical levels of anxiety or panic attacks. These are certainly experiences where learning tools is really important. But day-to-day -day anxiety is pretty normal. And in a lot of ways, it keeps you safe. You know, you've got wired in your brain, just like I have in mine, the negativity bias. Because the ancestors that were walking along and saw a shadow and ducked back to the cave because they didn't know what that was, were the ones that went on to survive and reproduce. Their peers, their members, the tribe members who saw that shadow and continued out in the dark or in the open were likely to become a tiger's lunch. You know, the negativity bias has kept us safe. Learning from past errors and reflecting on things that could go wrong in future has really allowed us without, you know, fancy teeth or claws to become the top of the food chain. So this skill set of mine, along with working together in an interconnected way, has brought us to this point. And we have the same wiring that we did then. So if 
you were out and you saw a shadow, chances are your heart rate would start to go to pump blood more to your arms and your legs. You would start to breathe heavier to bring in oxygen to fuel your muscles, to run away from this threat, to move into fight or flight. Extra blood would be going to your arms and your legs from your digestive system, your gut, your tummy, and your front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, because you don't have to do higher level math sums in this situation. And that kept you safe. So it was a really useful physiological response when there might have been a tiger coming. And the challenge is that this same response exists when you think about that meeting you've got tomorrow when you get a phone call or when you hear the beep of your inbox. And it's not as helpful now, is it? So this is the challenge that you are working with. This is the challenge of our wiring and our conditioning because the mind is built for problem solving. What I mean by this is that in addition to this fight or flight response that you are navigating, that we're all navigating at times, when there's a problem, your mind is ready to solve it, you know, to think through potential solutions and options. The challenge is that while this is a useful technique when you're looking for your keys, and maybe you don't lose your keys all the time, but I'll use this example because I do. You know, you might go and look in the door to see if you've left them there. You might look in the bag you were carrying, your pants, go back to the car. I can work through where I've been and I will eventually find my keys. If I'm trying to problem solve feeling uncomfortable, feeling anxious, feeling overwhelmed, I start to become anxious about being anxious. Have you ever experienced this, right? You know, or starting to worry about the fact that you're worrying. Trying to solve the problem of an uncomfortable feeling is like trying to push away the thought of a purple elephant. So roll with me on this. Think of a purple elephant. Oh, actually, stop. Stop thinking of the purple elephant. Whatever you do, no longer think of that purple elephant. Get that purple elephant out of your mind. Be gone, purple elephant. Whatever you do, do not think of the purple elephant. What are you thinking about? Undoubtedly, it's a purple elephant, right? Because the same neural pathways that you use to try not to think of a thought for thought suppression are the same pathways that think of that same thought, of that same, in this case, purple elephant. So this is really challenging when you might be trying not to worry, when you might be trying not to feel your heart rate. And we know that one in five of us will struggle with mental illness and that most adults right now are rating themselves as being extremely stressed. This is concerning because this is pre-pandemic data. And we know that high levels of stress make you more likely to experience clinical levels of anxiety, which make you more likely to experience a depressive episode. So this is the result of epidemiological data, so studies that have tracked people over time. So we want to figure out strategies, tools to manage stress that do not involve not thinking about the things that are stressful because that's the purple elephant all over again. That problem-solving mind isn't so effective here. 
So I'd like to introduce you to the concept of alexithymia, because what can happen is when you are feeling a little bit stressed or a little bit irritated, you notice and you can engage in behaviors, practices that help you manage that. But what a lot of people describe is going from zero to a hundred, you know, suddenly feeling overwhelmingly angry, anxious, stressed, or like frozen, really flat. Alexithymia is when you have difficulty in processing and regulating emotions. So this is difficulty actually noticing what's happening for you internally, your emotional state. While some of this is a result of neurodiversity, some of our brains are just wired differently and we don't notice emotions in the same way. For some of us, this is learned because growing up or even now, when we have an emotional experience, someone might tell us, oh, it's not that bad. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, don't cry. There's nothing to cry about. Stop crying. You're fine. These messages teach you to distrust your internal state and essentially tell you that your negative emotions, your uncomfortable emotions, your big emotions are bad. So then you might start to get scared of your feelings, <laughs> you know, feeling like you don't want to feel which leads you to procrastinate, to avoid. Luckily, it is the case that emotional processing is learnable for a lot of us. And ultimately what I want for you is for you to be able to feel better, to feel your feelings better, not to necessarily feel better, if that makes sense. I would love for you to be able to feel all your big feelings, the comfortable ones, the familiar ones, and the less comfortable without ending up on a Netflix binge, reaching for the bottle of wine, or scrolling through on your phone for hours on end. I want you to be able to feel what you're feeling and then do what matters. Show up in your life in such a way that you can be that self that you want to have showing up for your 80th birthday party. Because the fact is, emotion is energy in motion. Energy in motion, energy that's designed to move, to be felt, and to teach you. While you do not get to choose your emotions, you nonetheless get to choose your behaviors. And you've got to feel it to heal it. You've got to be able to notice your emotional state, to make space for it, to be able to choose how to respond. So the good vibes only thing, <laughs> not helpful, which brings us to myth number two, that you need more time. So whose calendar doesn't look wildly full and overwhelming, like there is no space to breathe? I get it. Yet somehow we have 168 hours each week and imagine the dream world where you get to sleep for eight hours a night. That still leaves 112 waking hours each week. So I'm curious as to where that time goes for you. You know, it might be around extra projects, carpools, the never ending mess of the house, supporting family members. There's lots that goes into this work in the home, out of the home. 
Yet we also know the average person spends about 145 minutes each day scrolling social media, and I reckon this could be higher, and around three hours and 17 minutes watching TV. You know, and if you're enjoying your social media experience, if you're seeking connection with friends and family members, inspiration, education, brilliant. That sounds really deliberate and really helpful and healthful. But if you're finding yourself zoning out, diving down rabbit holes, or ending up on highlight reels that end up leaving you feel worse off, I don't know if that's that helpful or if that's serving you to move forward in the life you want to create. And similarly, with the time spent watching TV where it's delightful shows or shows that have you feeling, and ultimately we yearn for feeling, right? You know, dramas, suspense, horror movies, we actually want to feel all the feelings otherwise. These shows, these movies wouldn't exist. It can be really fun to feel, to laugh, to connect, to watch a show with a loved one or to watch a show that we feel really drawn to. But when it's for hours on end and actually we're like zoned out watching TV while scrolling on our phones, unable to go to bed or do things that we know will serve us, I guess the question is whether this is where we want to spend our lives. Because ultimately, you control your time. You know, what do you want to invest in? This is the one resource you can never buy back. You never get to buy back your time. You have it and then it's gone. So I want to introduce you to something called spoon theory. And this is a concept from chronic illness interventions that suggests the idea that you've got, let's say, X number of spoons. Let's go with six. And you spend them throughout your day. Now, let's say you spend a couple of spoons getting up in the morning, a couple of spoons on a difficult interaction at lunch, maybe a few spoons getting dinner ready or navigating traffic, whatever it may be. Maybe you get to the evening and you don't have any spoons left. It can be really difficult to then do the simple task like turning off the TV, turning off your phone and going to brush your teeth and get into bed even though you're tired and you know that's what you would like to do, what you want to do. So then suddenly you're waking up the next day already tired and you're in a deficit of spoons. How do we break this cycle? And this is where I want to introduce you to the magic number of 10. <laughs> Let's start with 10 because 10 is the most bang for buck, the most effective ratio in terms of meditation and exercise getting the most impact in your life. So where could we find 10 minutes in your life? Could it be 10 minutes of body movement like yoga? Maybe as everyone's eating their breakfast, you do a couple of sun salutations. These are some yoga practices, a yoga flow that I teach. Maybe it could be 10 minutes of breath work, mindfulness, sitting in your car before you start work or before you go into the house. Maybe it could be 10 minutes as the coffee is brewing in the morning, 10 minutes before your shower, after your shower. And if it can't be 10 minutes, could it be three minutes? You know, could you build on this? Starting with three minutes each day means that every day you're moving your body, you become someone who does yoga every day, or you become someone who meditates every day. And with that identity shift, maybe it's easier to do four, five, six, and you build up. But just start somewhere. 
You know, pair it with something you're already doing. Start small. Because when we start small and we have some success, I know this might sound silly that it might be literally rolling out your yoga mat and that's where you start. But if you do that every day, you gain motivation because you feel like you're achieving what you intended to do. If you start big with 60 minutes and that doesn't happen, it's a hard win. You lose that motivation. So then who is actually able to do yoga? This is where we get to myth number three. You know, the myth that you need a yoga body. This is a rough one. And I want to acknowledge that I stand here in a white, able body body, (laughs) which perpetuates a lot of this myth. And I also know that yoga is for everybody. That yoga has nothing to do about the shapes. It is about the experience in the shapes, learning to relate to, to be with yourself, to create space for what's showing up, to create space for that energy in motion, to move through and to heal. And I love the meme of a woman standing in a bikini where it says, want a bikini body? Put on a bikini. (laughs) This is the same principle. If you want a yoga body, practice yoga. You know, yoga is about who you become with each breath and about modifying your practice so that it suits you and where you're at. There is nothing you need to change about you and yet you're changing every time you move into, you breathe and you be. One bonus myth is this myth that you need to be Zen to practice. And Jack Kornfield, who is a Buddhist monk and a psychologist, he puts this really beautifully. If you can sit quietly after difficult news, if in financial downturns you remain perfectly calm, if you can see your neighbors travel to fantastic places without a twinge of jealousy, if you can happily eat whatever is put on your plate, if you can fall asleep after a day of running around without a drink or a pill, if you can always find contentment just where you are, you are probably a dog. <laughs> you know, you as a human being will feel all the feels. Ultimately, you are a feeling individual and you can still move towards creating a life that is meaningful, that is purposeful and create change to allow you to live this life that feels vital, that feels inspirational. As Albert Einstein apparently said, I know this is a misattribution, but the saying still holds usefully. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So if things are not feeling aligned for you, I'm curious as to whether you might like me to teach you some evidence-based strategies that you can integrate with a yoga practice to help you effectively manage stress and cultivate a sense of flourishing in your life in a simple format, because I know you're busy. I'd like to introduce you to my most empowering program. It's an online program I've developed called Yoga Brain 101. This program teaches you a modern evidence-based approach for cultivating emotional well-being using acceptance and mindfulness skills coupled with yoga classes designed to support you practicing the psychological skills and strategies you learn. This is the program I wish I'd had. I wish I 
could have been on the bus, you know, I guess with a uh, cell phone, um, what would it be called, the smartphone that I did not actually own at the time, but, you know, that I wish I'd had. Because ultimately, what Yoga Brain 101 will cultivate for you is an understanding of your stress cycle, self-compassion, present moment mindfulness skills, a broader sense of your awareness, a sense of peace, acceptance to support your grace going forward, clarity around how you invest your time, and an understanding of lifestyle medicine practices, how you actually live your life in a healing way. And it will support you in cultivating a regular yoga practice, even if you're a beginner. There are eight modules that come together in this program, starting with learning mindful foundations, then learning psychological flexibility skills. You know, there are six components to psychological flexibility that are broken down, instructed module by module alongside a yoga class where, again, it's experiential. You get to apply to move into these psychological skills and practice and then finishing up with the lifestyle medicine module. So alongside the eight psychoeducational training modules that cover psychoneuroimmunology and polyvagal theory through the psychological flexibility skills of acceptance and commitment therapy, you get the videos, audio meditations, PDF worksheets, and build your own yoga shala, you know, a library of yoga classes each week alongside the mindfulness practices. I offer lifetime access to Yoga Brain 101 because it's really important to me that you can come back to these skills, to these practices when life gets tough. There are also some bonuses that go with Yoga Brain 101. So you get a live Q&A with myself. There is a moving mama class. So this includes a prenatal and a postnatal yoga class to support you in going through the different life transitions that come up in this, in this wild world, along with an intuitive eating training with Dr. Annika Ralph, who's a practicing dietitian. So all up, this value is around $652, yet I want to make sure that Yoga Brain 101 is accessible. So it's $125 for two payments, or you can do it for one payment of $237, which is around the cost of a therapy session. However, you know, acknowledging it is what it is, it's not therapy. It is a psychoeducational course. So if it feels like this is something that could be useful for you, you know, you have this choice to dive in, to commit to reinventing your life, aligning with your values and supporting your health and relationships along the way. Or of course, if things are working now well for you, keep doing what you're doing. You know, this course may not be what you need. If you want to try it, I have a 30-day risk-free guarantee so that if Yoga Brain 101 doesn't turn out to be a good fit for you, and like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, you can always just email me and I'll offer you a refund on your investment. There's no questions asked. It's, it's a pretty simple process. Just email hello at drcaitlin.com and let me know if things aren't aligning for you. And as I mentioned, I want to make sure that these are evidence-based skills, practices. So it's worth knowing that 
there have been over 435 randomized controlled trials looking at psychological flexibility as a roadmap, path, a framework for well-being and thriving. They're not just skills that I've used in my own life. So these skills that you learn have research behind them and not just research in terms of psychological interventions, but there's over 40 plus peer-reviewed studies that have come out supporting acceptance and commitment training skills, psychological flexibility skills in the self-help format. So in online formats like Yoga Brain 101, we also know that there's a rich body of research supporting yoga as an adjunct intervention, you know, something to help with stress reduction, with mood management, something, a practice that's anxiolytic so that can decrease anxiety and help work through the physiological experience of trauma. So if this is something that's feeling like it could be useful for you, I would love to offer it to you and love to have you along. So get in contact. If you do have any questions, I'm going to go into a bit of a Q&A now. For those of you who are interested, you can also find the answers to common questions if you head to drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain. And if you would like, I will send you the mindful coloring bullet journal tutorial so that you can use this values-based bullet journaling framework that I've designed to support you in your valued living, in your habit creation, and in your mindfulness practice. So thank you for making the investment in yourself, sticking around to this point and learning about psychological flexibility, flexibility that's so much more impactful than touching your toes. So I stopped the training a little bit early because I talk individuals through visually what to expect if they choose to enroll in Yoga 101 and what they'll see. And that might be less applicable considering we are here in audio format. I also left out some of the Q&As, but you can go to drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain and there's a bunch of frequently asked questions there as well as more information about Yoga Brain 101 if that does sound like something that could support you in your journey. You know, ultimately we've got such, such precious time as we've discussed in the training. And if it feels useful to have these skills compiled to utilize your yoga practice as an experiential playground for psychological strategies, then I really think that this course will serve you. But I also recognize that it's not right for everyone. It might not be the right time. If there are any questions, concerns, anything you want to hash out, please feel free to get in touch. My email is hello at drcaitlin.com. As I mentioned, this was a unique episode. We will be back to our normal programming next week. And in fact, next week, we are going to be talking about perfectionism. This is a challenge a lot of us um, maybe have to work through, gets in the way in terms of procrastination. Dr. Z is going to be talking us through her model of perfectionism. And in fact, two lucky Yoga Brain 101 enrollees are going to be winning a copy of Dr. Z's book. It'll be in the form of a lucky draw. So if Yoga Brain 101 does interest you, that is a bit of a bonus for someone 
times two. All right, I will see you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.